Good morning. Hi, everybody up there. Good to see y'all. Glad you're here. Can't see your faces, but I know you're there. It's good. I am so glad to uh, get to spend time with you this morning. And I had a wonderful service uh, up at the Mount Juliet campus. And boy, just walking in the door and sensing the spirit of worship and praise here was... We could just invite them back up and sing a little bit more. You know that, right? Uh, How gifted and how genuine they are. So we're starting a series on whatever it takes, and that will go on for a number of weeks here. And so the the title itself is broadly uh, encompassing. It encompasses so many things in Scripture. And the specific message this morning is titled, Whatever the Bible Says. And when I read that, I thought, that's going to be a really long sermon. You know, so, <clears throat> so I hope you all brought your sack lunch. Uh, we may not be out by 12 noon, but we'll be out by 12 midnight tonight. So, okay, that's uh, sure. Whatever the Bible says. So I want to ask you to turn in your, in your copy of God's Word or on your cell phone or whatever you do it. Maybe you've got it memorized, but turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at uh, two passages in the third chapter, and then we're going to look at one passage in the fourth chapter. But I wanna, want you to get there and kind of put your finger in it and hold on to it a minute, because I want to uh, preface uh, those passages by just asking some honest questions. When you have a topic like what the Bible says, then there's got to be a place to start. <clears throat> and so I want to start with a few questions And you do not have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change your posture. You just think about it. Because sometimes the most important thing we can do is actually pause to think about what's being said. So here are some of the questions I want to ask you. By what standards am I or you? By what standards are we living our lives? By whose standards and those are important questions I mean that those two things right there we could have long conversations with one another about those two questions by what standards do I live my life and those standards are you know who basically who will I be uh, what will I contribute uh, how will I live those kinds of things So by what standards am I living? Where did I get those standards? Where'd they come from? Who were the influences in your life that developed for you your current life standards? Because there's always a role model, an example, and and maybe a number of people in an environment, but there's always someone or someones who've directly impacted what we believe what our standard of living is. What's the foundation upon which we are standing? So who modeled those standards for me? In addition to those influencers, who else has modeled those things for me and affirmed them and driven them deep in my own heart? Now the last two questions get a little bit more uh, a little bit more personal. How committed am I Whatever those standards are, how committed am I to those standards? That starts to get a little personal, right? Getting up in your space. 
How committed am I? I say I have these standards for my life. And maybe I've written them down. Uh, and maybe I've even talked about them sometimes. But how committed actually, behaviorally, am I committed to those standards? Right? Because standards written down on a piece of paper are carried around in our head that are not behaviorally expressed are kind of a waste of time. They feel good. If we talk about them, they sound good. And we might actually have some degree of aspiration towards them. But if they are functionally and practically and in reality not a relevant part of the day-to-day of our lives, then we might as well actually not have them. And then the last one, how consistent am I with those standards? How consistent am I with my standards? If I say that here is what I will do and here's what I will not do, here's what I will be, here's what I will not be, here's what I will entertain, here's what I will not entertain, here's where I'll place my loyalties, here's what I will avoid completely. If I say all of those things... but I'm not consistent with them, then there's a disconnect, right? So that's kind of broad stroke, and that is not necessarily specifically biblical. You may be thinking of it very specifically in biblical terms right now, but I'm, I'm just bringing you towards this concept of what is the consummate standard for a believer, and are actually, are there any other standards besides Scripture for a believer? And I would suggest to you that the consummate standard, the consummate standard by which we should be living is right here. That's the consummate standard. And it's all-encompassing. And so... Again, the task of talking about what the Bible says. We have to start somewhere, so that's where we started. We're going to start with Scripture being the consummate, the irrefutable, the overarching, the essential set of standards. The teachings of the Word of God as I embrace them, study them, grow in them, mature in them live them out behaviorally in my home, with my wife, with my kids, with my grandkids, with extended family, with co-workers in the office, with neighbors, with strangers that I meet. The Scripture, the Word of God, gives us help and guidance in every one of those things. There's not any absent Uh, information there. Any relationship, any connection in any realm of life, Scripture has our standard. And it comes from the heart of God. Not to be demanding and harsh and hard-hearted and rigid, but to be redemptive, to be encouraging, to be empowering, to bring you to a place where you are at your best, so to speak, in growth, progressing as you go for sure, but every moment you're gaining some ground on this thing of 
being a follower of Jesus authentically. So the consummate standard is the Word of God. Now, before we get into uh, 2 Timothy, let me just give you a couple of quick examples, again, to frame this. There's so many. But Psalm 119, verse 9. Here's a great one. I love this one. How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? Many of you already know the second verse. By guarding it according to God's Word. How do we keep our way pure? By understanding, absorbing, and then executing in behavior what God's Word tells us about staying pure. Staying clean on the inside. Making wise choices. Sometimes tough choices because the flesh barks at us. Tempts us. Lures us. But how, what is the most solid ground for you and I as believers? It is the Word of God. Psalm 119 uh, verses 97 through 106. You've probably read all of these. But here's some of the benefits. Think about what the Word of God does for you practically. What is here that would be of value to you? Well, verse 98 says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. Have you ever needed wisdom? (laughs) Uh, There may be somebody in here who doesn't need any wisdom, but I'm number one on the list, like every day. Well, Scripture gives us wisdom. And if we don't go to Scripture, guess where we're going to go? We're going to go to... A friend, a counselor, the TV, the latest greatest guru who's espousing whatever they're espousing, the latest fad, the latest trend, the latest pop psychology. That's where we'll go if we don't have a solid foundation underneath our feet. And it's always interesting to me when I look at my own behavior, right? Because i gotta, I got to start here. When I look at my own behavior, it's interesting to me to see how easily I am sometimes influenced by those things when the truth of the matter is I've got everything I need right here. Wise counsel. The 99th verse, God gives, God's Word gives me more insight than teachers. We all come across things that we need insight for. We need understanding. We need clarity. There's confusion or there's uh, clouds and fog and mist, etc. We need insight. The Word of God can provide for us the insight that we need for specific things. God's precepts give me more understanding than the elders. That's verse 100. More understanding than the elders. Now, that's not talking about the elders of this church. When the psalmist wrote that, he was talking about the spiritual elders of his day. But it's also encompassing, I can become wiser than people who are older than I am via a disciplined embracing of the Word of God. Because a lot of folks who have been even in churches for a long time Uh, the behavioral part of the Word of God as your standard, as your foundation, has gotten lost over time. And the default, rather than to the Word of God, specifically, intentionally, regularly, 
enthusiastically, the default has become just whatever my best thinking is. Now, there's nothing wrong with your best thinking, right? I mean, God gave us a mind, and we are to use that mind productively. But if we use our minds exclusively just in what we think and our decisions and our discernment and our perceived wisdom and our uh, designed solutions and our strategies, if we use those things apart from the Word of God, then we are at, in peril of floundering. Because those things, um, there's not any stability in those things. I'm looking for something that's rock solid underneath my feet. I won't do that again, by the way, sound guys. I want you to know. I just learned something. But I'm looking for something that is rock solid underneath my feet. And I don't know any other standard besides Scripture that can provide that. Your best friend, your wisest counselor, cannot give you the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding that the Word of God can give you. It doesn't mean you X them out. There is strength and there's wisdom in wise counselors. But if I'm just going to the wise counselors and not to the wisest counselor, I'm missing a lot. I'm living on this plane when the better option is to live on this plane. Right? God's precepts give me understanding for life. God's word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's Jesus speaking. And he is speaking by extension to you and I saying the very same thing. It's not about this plane. We live by what comes here. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's a process. You know that, right? That takes time. We develop the discipline of exposing ourselves to the Word of God and not just reading it, but thinking on it, meditating on it, and then coming up with the ways in which we are going to express it. Did you know that one of the greatest disconnects that I've observed, that's it. And I don't know if it applies to any of you or not, but one of the greatest disconnects I've observed in my years is the fact that we are pretty good about uh, paying attention to Scripture. We respect it. We'll stand in honor of God's Word, etc. And we'll do a quiet time and we'll read that, etc. But the, you know where, the, where we run out of gas? And it shows up over time. We run out of gas when we don't extend this understanding of the Word of God into what am I going to do with that today? Because if I'm not doing something, forward movement, if I'm not doing something with what I just learned, then I'm missing what God's ultimate design is. His design is not for information. 
His design is for effective action. That's the whole point of reading the Word of God, that we change behaviorally, that the mindset change, the priorities change, the values change. Because we're being exposed to God's Word and we're enthusiastic about that. And as we put it into practice, it becomes alive in us. As opposed to just checking the box off of our devotional every morning. One more. Romans 12, 12. Do not be conformed to this pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transformation is a standard, a process of continuing growth, right? It's not like uh, the magic show where I'm standing in the box and then all of a sudden now I'm something completely different. It doesn't happen that fast. But it is a process of change, habitual, continual change and growth and refinement and maturity as a result of the continuing exposure to the Word of God. My behavior changes. In fact, uh, I recall a writer uh, used to be the dean at Dallas Theological Seminary. But he said, basically, uh, if you don't actually apply in practice, whatever it is that you think you're learning or reading or studying, it said if you don't ever actually apply it, you might as well have not studied it to start with. That's a sober word. But it does speak to the import, the actual day-by-day importance of the Word of God in our lives. So, We're not talking about religious indoctrination here, okay? Reading Scripture is not about religious indoctrination. Reading Scripture is not about behavior modification. uh, Scripture can help with changing behaviors. In fact, as the Spirit of God speaks to us, He will point out to us things that should shift or change or mature or grow. We should walk away from some things towards some other things and embrace them. So there's nothing wrong with... Uh, behavior modification as a construct, but I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not talking about moral reformation. There's nothing wrong with that. But God's Word is the one that's going to drive us to moral reformation. And apart from moral reform, apart, apart from God's Word, moral reformation is unlikely to stick. Did you know that? Statistics say apart from Well, statistics say that in any efforts at moral reformation, it's unlikely to stick if it is not expressed and practiced every single day. So we're not talking about any of those things. What are we talking about? We're talking about spiritual and internal transformation, right? We're talking about transformation. We are transformed by the Word of God as it molds and shapes us From his heart to ours, we confront it. We are confronted by it. We repent if necessary. We challenge ourselves to change our thinking, and then we put it into practice. And that's where growth occurs. 
And that's where we go from stagnancy and frustration in the walk that is supposed to be the abundant life, but it never feels that way. Why? Because we're not, we're not expressing it. We've got enough knowledge, but no behavior. And the change comes in the behavior and in the practice of these things. Okay, that's the setup. And I've still got 15 minutes left. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And by the way, these are Paul, this is Paul's last letter. Uh, he is in prison in Rome. But he loves Timothy. He's mentored Timothy. And God has given him a heart for Timothy. So he's urging Timothy. Urging Timothy to be aware of what the environment around him is going to look like. And what the challenge for him is going to be. And so he writes these words in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It's the challenge of the external environment. But realize this, Paul said, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Wow. You know when that was written, right? Sounds like the front page of today's newspaper, right? I mean, that's where it is. Human nature is what it is. It's constant, that's for sure why it takes the presence of the Word of God in us on a daily basis to push back against all of that stuff and to be, as Jesus said we should be, the light of the world with energy and with vibrancy and with passion about who we are and the message we bring and the joy of the Lord being our strength. Not surviving, but thriving in Christ. Not surviving, but thriving. But I've got to connect the Word of God as the essential component to the thriving. It can't be just a Sunday morning experience. I'm not, I'm not saying there is no value there whatsoever, but that is a setup for this kind of a life spiritually. In and out. Off and on, up and down, no constancy, no sense of forward progress, no ability to even see yourself changing for the better. Just scratching and picking and trying to figure out the next thing that might be a solution. By the way, when Paul wrote those many, many words about the environment around us, it's interesting if you look at this, he really wasn't speaking to just generally hard times. You know, like, well, the economy's down and uh, a lot of folks out of a job, etc. He's not speaking to that. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about those kinds of hard times. He's talking about hard hearts. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about a culture where hearts 
are not only hardened, they are embittered. And so he just challenges us to recognize what's around us. Now, when he says have nothing to do with those, he is not saying that we cut everybody off. Because that's contrary to the message of the gospel. It just simply means that we need to be wise and discerning about the environment that we live in. But if we are thriving on the word of God, then we've got something to give that world we live in. And we can be a counteractive force against it. And we could actually bring some of those people to Jesus if we would engage with them. But if we're running on our own power and not on the authority and the wisdom and the understanding and the confidence in the Word of God and the settleness in our own hearts that we know what we're bringing to the table, we're probably not going to do very much. And it all ties back around to settleness in the Word of God, communion with the person of God on a regular basis. He describes what can and does happen when people drift further away from faithfulness, righteousness, and justice and move closer and closer to rejecting any boundaries of a moral code, making their own rules, answering to no one, demanding that the universe should revolve around them. That is the world in which we live. In fact, the, the consummate statement is, it is an eat-to-each-his-own mindset. No moral absolutes. And by the way, the drift down that river can lead to catastrophe. <coughs> so let me ask you a, a personal question here again. You don't have to raise your hand. Just Do you sense yourself drifting? In any way, shape, form, or fashion. Drifting away from the value of the Word of God. Drifting away from the value of worship and the body of Christ together. Drifting away from a spouse. Drifting away from kids. Drifting away from interest in much of anything. Drifting away from a sense of vibrancy in your faith, your walk with Jesus. Do you sense yourself drifting in any way, shape, or form? If you do, check it. Look it straight in the eye. Call it what it is. Have a conversation with yourself or with one of the pastors here or with somebody and stop the drift because a drift like that has to be intentionally stopped intentionally it has to be confronted and, and by the way what's, where can you go for help there the word of God the consummate source one other interesting statement that Paul makes in that one passage he said, they've created or embraced for themselves a form of godliness, although that they've denied the power of it. What does that actually mean? Well, it means that sometimes things like they go to church, but it doesn't mean much. They have some knowledge, but don't use it. They're nice, but not generously rich. They do some good deeds, but it's mechanical. A version of spirituality that has no need to be actually biblical. There's a lot of that going around in our culture. A version of spirit, somebody's version of spirituality, make it up as you go, that has no need to be biblical. So guard yourself from the drift. 
Look at chapter 3, verses 14. <clears throat> this is a challenge of internal discipline. We've got to look at the challenge of the external environment and decide who we're going to be in it, but we've got to also look at the challenge of internal discipline. Paul says to Timothy, and by extension to his congregation, you, however, in contrast, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Know from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we see what's around us, now we decide who we are in it. What do we believe? What do we know? Upon what solid ground are we standing? Is it my wisdom or it is the wisdom of God? Which one is it? That's a very intentional choice. It becomes, it feels like it's not much of a choice at all. But when you see the power of what the Word of God can do in your life over time, then it becomes essential for you. You actually begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what is the level of hunger and thirst for righteousness? I mean, you, you know it. You may not have thought about it much, but I know it. I mean, if we were going to have a wide open, you know, group conversation here, group therapy, and get really honest, we all pretty much know what our level of intensity about this thing of knowing God in and through His Word and living it out. We know where we are on that. And that can become a drift also, a drift away. So am I courageous enough, am I willing enough, do I care enough to confront myself on that? Of course I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask, Word of God, speak. Pour down like rain on me. I need a refreshing. I'm going to pray for that. But I'm in also going to get to the Word and start doing the work. Right? Get to the Word, start doing the work. Paul led Timothy to Christ. Have you reflected on what you know? Who led you to Christ? Think about that for just a minute. What was that encounter? What was, that, uh, what was the situation? How did it come about? Do you remember that moment when you committed yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Paul gave Timothy ministry opportunities. And by the way, those are all around you right here if you want them. Paul taught by both word and example. Who models for you? Who is, who is the role model? Who is the person perhaps in this building or somewhere else that you consider a wonderful, trustworthy, consistent role model for you in your walk with Jesus? Who is that? Stay close to them. Get closer to them if you can. Because not only do we need the Word of God, but we need the fellowship of God's people to encourage us in this journey of growing to maturation. Don't have to make the journey alone. Don't have to be the Lone Ranger. In fact, it's actually better if we make the journey together. We bear with one another. 
We encourage one another. We support one another. We speak the truth to one another. And all of that is part of God's design in and through His Word of maturing us and growing us up. But if we isolate ourselves from those kinds of relationships, then we're losing a massive part of what God has designed for us. Timothy then, as a result of all that Paul did, he developed his own love and loyalty to Jesus. That's what happens. See, it is possible for you and for me to have such joy, such, such settledness, such deep confidence, some, such peace in our hearts with God that we can witness and share Jesus with others easily. It's not a labor. It's not tense. It's not a performance, you know, that I've got to do it a certain way. We're just so in love with Him that our love for Him laps over into the lives of others. And we can't not tell people about Him. We can't not tell people about Him. So remember that moment you came to Jesus and the journey and decide, be clear with yourself on where you are right now. Is the fire hot or is there just a wee ember barely burning? God's word was the standard for living and the solid foundation for life for Paul and for Timothy. Now there's the last passage, chapter 4. <clears throat> Look at it if you would. This is the challenge to a decided heart. This is Paul, and Paul is speaking as strongly here as you will see him speak anywhere in his writings. Verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solemnly charge you. In the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they, people in and out of the church, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. That means they want to hear what they want to hear, and they don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from hearing the truth, the Word of God, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now you say, well, Rick, I guess that counts me out because I'm not a preacher I'm not ordained, I'm not an evangelist, etc. So, good, I'm not in that group. No, yes you are. <laughs> Everybody's in the, anybody in the room is in the group. You may not have a title, but every one of us are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And every one of us are called to be lights in the darkness. And every one of us are called to be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And most of the time, when if we don't do that, most of the time the reason is because our confidence in God's Word is not strong enough. And the sense of passion and joyful obligation and giving back unto God as He has given to us, that, that has faded away. We let it drift away. So what is the remedy? Get back to it. Get back to the joy of your salvation and what it has meant, what it means right now, and what it will mean for eternity. And you will find that the words flow far easily, far more easily out of your lips to another person. The truth and the power and the essential nature of God's Word has never been more needed than it is today. We're to be the messengers to individuals, to groups, and even to the culture at large. Yes. As adverse as that culture outside there might be, we are still called to be messengers to that culture. Boldly. Confidence in, not confidence in self, confidence in Christ. As we speak His name, we speak the truth in love to the culture around us. The light of the world in our walk, in our words, and in our witness. We are to be wise, bold, and we are to point people to Jesus. But we've got to be biblically sound if we're going to do that, right? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to memorize every book of the Bible. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a theologian. It just means that there's got to be enough of the fire of the Spirit of God inside of your heart that you're willing to speak. Most of the time, it's pretty hard to find wrong words if you're telling the story about what Jesus has done for you. Right? Do you know that? You kind of have to really work at messing that up. Because I was blind, and now I see. I was that person, now I'm this person. And it's because of Him. Don't make it too complicated. Just let the Word of God speak to you and light the fire. So, whatever the Bible says, where are you with that? Where are you with that? And specifically in these things, where are you with that? Where are you with the Word of God? Uh, four questions. I started with four questions. I'm going to end with four questions for you to think about. Right now, in this moment, in this place in your own heart and mind, by yourself, quietly, privately, how strong is your desire for God's Word right now? How strong is that hunger for time with God? Now, that's not, that's not judgmental. We're just saying, you know, sometimes we have to define reality. Because right? defining reality is nothing more than just where am I at this moment in time? Because that then becomes the platform, the launching pad for where I am going to go from here, right? 
Here's where it is. may be pretty, may not be pretty. It's what it is. But that's where I am. So since I now know where I am, now I'm going to chart the course to where I'm going to go. And I'm going to re-engage in this one-on-one personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make the Word of God a priority. It's the most important meal of every day. If we live by by every word that comes from the mouth of God, guess what your most important meal is every day? And not just by rote, but thinking, processing, and then behaving. Okay? So what is, what is that level of desire for God's word right now? Is it actually... In practice, is it actually your true standard by which your life is governed? Number two, how frequent is your engagement with God's Word? And I'm not trying to lay burdens on you. I'm just bringing to the fore the reality of what a lot of us deal with. Sometimes we wonder why we feel far away from God, and sometimes the answer is really simple. We're not spending any time with Him kind of hard to develop much of a relationship when we don't spend time with people. Number three, in what ways are you being transformed by His Word right now, today? What has happened in the last two weeks, three months, six months, etc., that's different in you because of your engagement with the Word of God? What has changed recently? Our walk in Christ is a habitual, continual growth and change process. Growing more like Him. Changing into becoming more like Him. It's, that's the norm. That is what is the expected is. If any of you all are watching the Chosen series, which I am. but I, And it's... Man-made, I get that. But you know what? It encourages me because it shows me how people are changing in the process. That is God's design for us. That there be evidence that something has changed. If I'm still where I am right now, uh, the same place I was one year ago spiritually, same routine, same whatever, I need to ask myself why. Why? Did we run out of things for the Bible to teach us? You know, no. Or did we just stop seeking more? Last question. In truth and in love, are you sharing God's word with anybody else? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So in truth, you answer those questions. I'm, nobody's passing judgment, but we've got to ask ourselves what may feel like hard questions. And then respond appropriately. So, <clears throat> here we go. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's the starting point for you. 
that's the most essential, consequential decision you will ever make in your life. And it will totally revolutionize your life because that's what he came to do. He came to change us and transform us from the inside out. And when you begin that journey with him and you stay in that journey with him, you cannot imagine the joys, the insights, the empowerment, the humility, the sense of purpose and meaning that he will bring into your life. And he calls you. So if you do not know him today, that's step number one. If you do know him today, then ask yourself those questions. Word of God speak. Let it pour down like rain. Capture my heart. Show me and strengthen me then to make the changes, the forward progress that you would have me to make under your direct tutelage. I want more of you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Thank you for your willingness to embrace us wherever we are in this very moment. You are ready to embrace us, to pour into us right here, right now. We can be open and honest with you, with the wins and the losses and the failures and the frustrations and the misses. We can be honest with you about all of that and there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, so you're not going to punish us. You are going to embrace us, and you're going to encourage us in making the journey alongside of you, refreshing the journey, renewing the journey, renewing our, renewing our own desire for you, our joy in you, our willingness to share you with others. So, Lord, do your work in our hearts individually today, we pray right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.